You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad here, and uh, we're focusing this weekend on uh, Thomas Darcy McGee, and the McGee Summer School is going happening in Carlingford in Ireland on the 15th and 17th of August, and there's much greater interest in the last few years over many things surrounding Thomas Darcy McGee. Uh, we had David Wilson on some time back on the two volumes that he wrote on McGee's life and uh, Frank Cassidy and James Stevens, of course with the Thomas Darcy McGee band and the music that has been composed for that and there have been uh, recently some historical fiction written about that period of time and about Thomas Darcy McGee and one of those books is Find Him Guilty by Cheryl Stewart and I have Cheryl here with me Good morning Cheryl Good morning. And uh, to put this in context, uh, while much has been written about Thomas Darcy McGee, you decided to, to uh, approach this from, I suppose, the perspective of James Patrick Whelan. Yes, it's from his perspective and from the perspective of the just regular Irish people in Canada at the time uh, who weren't necessarily fans of Darcy McGee, partly because of his stance against Fenians, uh, with whom a lot of Irish people had sympathy at the time. And uh, also he had made a speech in Wexford, Ireland, which suggested that the Irish, particularly the American Irish, were easily led by people like the Fenians. So he had insulted them. He had uh, depended on their vote in the, I guess it was 1867 Montreal West election. So he had lost a lot of the vote there, and there were a lot of people angry with him. He had received a lot of death threats. So at the time, for some people, he was not a hero. Right. Let's take a step backwards to Ireland and Galway, August 1845, and you open up by setting a scene uh, around the famine. Right. I wanted to give some sense of, of what what generated Whalen's hatred for McGee. And, of course, it was originally uh, hatred for what the British had done to the Irish before, well, throughout the history, and particularly during the famine. It was, it was basically a failure of the potato crop. There, there was food in Ireland, but the British were using it for trade, and they were using it to feed themselves. So... A lot of the Irish that were forced out of Ireland had reason to dislike the British. And when they went to the States, by that time, revolution had taken place, and so there wasn't British rule. In Canada, there still was. And while McGee had been against the British in the beginning, he some point changed his mind and felt that British rule was good, it was conservative, it was, I guess, peaceful in a way, so he recommended that Irish move to Canada. And um, and I just wanted to give reasons for Whelan's dislike. Now, while we covered reasons there for Whelan's dislike, a bit about yourself and what led you to tackle this particular topic. I came across the story of the assassination when I was researching Confederation, because I didn't know enough about Confederation, but I, I became caught up in the story of the assassination. And then I, I became quite interested in Whalen's story because I was reading a lot about how unfair the trial was. 
and how it's an enduring mystery to today. Did they hang the right man? And nobody has come up with anything definitive. The trial was flawed. There were paid witnesses on both sides. So this, this was interesting to me. And then uh, when I was reading about the trial, I read that a 14-year-old girl who was one of the maid servants in the hotel where Whalen was living had testified. And I thought she was a very interesting character to approach, um, to talk about her life, her adventures during this period against the backdrop of the assassination and of the trial and the conviction and the hanging of Patrick Whalen. So in, she knew him. So in looking at her character and in trying to get to know her, you, in effect, were creating a character because you would have had access to a limited amount of uh, research about her, literally other, more than what she may have um, given in evidence. So, in a sense, you were able to use that then to maybe build a character. Yes, I did. I, I didn't have much on her. I did have to imagine her and, and the other character who I invented as another maid servant in the hotel, they were kind of foils for one another. But yes, I made her up. I knew that from the descriptions of the trial that she was very shy, that she was very small. There were reports that the clerk of the court had actually taken her by the hand and led her into the court. She was that frightened. And then she was frightened to speak up. So the judge had asked that she be placed on the stairs leading to the bench so that he could hear her better, and so that the reporters could hear her better as well. Right. So she, yeah, she was made up. I did later find the family tree. I know exactly what happened to Eliza throughout her life, but uh, that didn't have anything to do with who she was at 14. And as a sidebar to this, uh, in finding the family tree, uh, what did happen to her? She went to the United States. I'm not sure if she went there first or, or married an American here first. But she went to live in Ohio, and she had five children. She died in 1831. She was living at that time with one of her sons-in-law. So I was happy to find that. Right, indeed, indeed. Because, again, it puts, uh, I suppose, a real personage on what is a character for you. Yes, it did. Indeed. So then, as you decided to approach the story from the Whalen perspective... Um, much, as I said in the intro, has been written about Thomas Darcy McGee. Were you able to find much about James Patrick Whelan? Very little, but I'm interested enough that I continue to search. There, there are a few clues. His marriage to Bridget Boyle is recorded. Um, they don't know exactly when he was born. They think it was Galway. They have his parents' names from his marriage certificate. He mentioned or bragged about having been in Kilmainham prison. So there are prison records extant and uh, I intend to look those up. But there were reports that he was a happy guy. He liked to sing and dance and entertain his friends. He made quite a speech after he was sentenced. And so he wasn't ill-spoken at all. He, could, he was Irish after all, so he had a way with words. And he didn't, uh, his spelling was a little risky, but he could speak, and he, he did have friends. And what did he do? Uh, what was his daytime job? A tailor. 
Okay. He was known as the little tailor. When when the finger was pointed at him, they said you might want to, they told the police, you might want to talk to the little tailor. And uh, he was working for Peter Eagleson on Sussex Street, and apparently he was quite good at his job. He had apprenticed in Ireland, and he had worked as a tailor in, I believe, Quebec City, Montreal, and then he came to Ottawa. And he might have come to Ottawa to be where Thomas Darcy McGee was. Right. And again, before we continue, a little bit more about yourself and your writing. Well, I've been writing for a few years. I've, when I'm one of those writers that always wanted to write, but it's an intimidating task. And I finally, kind of on a dare from a friend, completed a novel. Uh, it was a middle grade novel. And so then I realized I can write a book. <laughs> I had, had always written, but... Uh, I tried to get that book published. It wasn't published, uh, and it is still trying to be published. And I've subsequently, after I finished Find Him Guilty, I also wrote another middle grade novel about a group of children in uh, 1956 who find some cattle and gain a reward. I don't want to give away. The <laughs> I don't want to give away the plot. Right now, when. When you say middle grade, Cheryl, are you writing for what would be a teenage audience? Well, Find Him Guilty was supposed to be for a young adult audience. I'm finding adult readers as well who like the story and who tell me that the characters have stuck with them. And I think character is, is probably the strongest point of my writing. I think I write characters that people can relate to, although I, I might need more feedback on that. Right, right. But in when when you felt a draw to write, you felt a draw towards trying to communicate with um, what would be young adults. In Find Him Guilty, yes. Right. Um, so then, as you would see your way forward in writing, uh, would you look and say, well, you know, having this experience now, I'd love to, or I'm going to consider what would be a more... Uh, I don't mean adult in the wrong term, but an adult uh, work. Yes, I'm thinking about doing a, a book from based on Jane Eyre, but from the perspective of Rochester. Okay. I do. I am drawn to the historical stories. I love research. And when you mentioned historical, I, I take it then you loved history at school. I didn't, but I do now. <laughs> but I do now. <laughs> I know. Isn't I would have to say the same. Would have to, it's amazing how, how history is wasted on the young in many ways. So coming back to the novel then, and um, building the story, at what point did you feel that um, it would be a good point to start to build the background to the story and to lead in and then uh, up towards the uh, assassination and the trial? The backstories were added later. Um, I wanted the story to cover the year between the assassination and the hanging, but then I discovered that Eliza had started to work at the hotel in February and had got to know Whalen at around that time. So it encompasses that year and the adventures primarily of Eliza and her friend Bridie as they, they kind of navigate their society and their place in it as working class women. Um, Eliza's a bit religious. She's shy. <clears throat> She's been abandoned by her family in one way or another. So she wants to find a family. And Bridie has been raised wild in the woods. 
and she wants to find respectability, and she thinks she can find it among the upper classes of Ottawa. So, and she is very determined. She's fallen in love with Patrick Whalen. He's charming, and he's well-dressed, and she translates that to higher class. And she is, does not believe that he's killed McGee, and she sets out to prove it. And she goes to various places. She approaches the eyewitness and asks him how he could see Whalen in the dark. Eliza is on the fence about whether or not Whalen is guilty, but she's loyal. She's loyal to Bridie, and so she supports Bridie in what she's trying to do. Right. Now, let, um, let's move on and, we'll, and take for granted the assassination. And the immediate aftermath, uh, there was a certain element of um, presumed guilty and identified presumed guilty even before any real investigation happened. Oh, yes, absolutely. There, was, there were people who said, he did it, he's a Fenian. There was never any indication, any evidence that Patrick Whelan was a Fenian, a sympathizer perhaps. But anyway, yet even the newspapers would print, there is no doubt that this man is guilty. And that was the prevailing feeling around the city as well. Now, you mentioned that there's no evidence that Patrick uh, Joseph Whelan was a, a Fenian. Um, how much evidence were you able to find or how much in your research were you able to find about Fenianism at the time? Quite a bit. It, uh, it was bigger in the States than here. There were some Fenian organizations here. McGee suggested that the St. Patrick's Society, who had supported him, had been Ill infiltrated and influenced by the Fenians. He, he didn't really have any proof of that. But the newspapers, if you look at the newspapers from the era, every day there was some kind of threat or scare. The Fenians are massing on the border. They're collecting guns. There's going to be an attack tomorrow. It was just constant that the, the politicians, the police, were just scaring people constantly that the Fenians were going to attack any day. They had attacked Ridgeway in, I think, 1866. And they, they had basically won the battle, but then they went back to the U.S. So people were very frightened of Fenians. And the Irish suffered because of that, because people decided to assume that anyone who was Irish, and particularly Irish Catholic, was by default a Fenian. So then when it came to constructing the trial, and how much... Did you rely on the recorded trial and, and how much uh, artistic li license did you take? I didn't take much. I had the transcript, George Spate's transcript of the trial. It's not like transcripts today, but it, it contained pretty well everything that was asked and everything that was said. And I relied on it a lot. Uh, I wanted to know who the people were. I wanted to use some of the names of the officials and some of the other uh, other people involved, the witnesses, the jurors. Um, John A. McDonald attended the trial for part of it, which was, you know, a real attempt to influence the jurors, I believe. Uh, he was Minister of Justice as well as Prime Minister, so there would have been some reason for him to be there, but he sat with the judge. 
and he brought his wife along one day as well to sit up there with the judge. And she apparently looked at uh, Patrick Whalen like he was dirt. They made it very clear that they felt he was guilty. Now, during that period in bringing his wife along, as I recall, she was probably heavily pregnant around that time. Mrs. McDonald? Yes. Uh, she had the baby three days before Whalen hanged. So she would have become pregnant in May, I think. And so she was, she was somewhat pregnant. In, that was in September. So, yes, yeah, she was pre- I don't know. I suppose she suspected at the time she was pregnant. She may not have been certain. So then in coming to the, in weaving the story further, um, as the evidence was presented, did you introduce, you, while Eliza was a character that you built upon and chose to uh, relate through, did you uh, identify any new characters or create any new characters that became relevant to that part of the story? I don't think I did. I, I used the witnesses and the lawyers, the judge. I think I used all their names. But, you know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> it, gives, it gives room for, for some more um, uh, courtroom drama in, in many ways, I suppose. Right. I think you're right. I wish I'd thought of it. <laughs> uh, well, we w- work our way through the, the trial and Patrick Joseph Whelan was found guilty, which, uh, you know, the title of your book is Find Him Guilty. Are, is that a direct quote from anybody? Well, it's not a direct quote. Um, Timothy Slattery wrote a book that was uh, highly critical of the trial and supported the idea that Whelan was not guilty. It was called They Got to Find Me Guilty Yet, which is something that, Whalen had scratched into a metal plate in his cell. I don't think he probably had writing materials, unfortunately. But um, that was the uh, name of the Find Me Guilty, and I changed it to Find Him Guilty. I had had other titles, but I I settled on this one. And then after the jury returned a verdict and it came around to the hanging, um, Patrick Joseph Whalen never... Uh, admitted to the assassination. He acknowledged that he knew who did it and that he may have been there, but he never admitted to it. No, he didn't. He, uh, If he did it, I would think that he wouldn't have anything to lose by confessing. I think if he did it and didn't confess, it was because of consideration for his wife and for his mother. He had mentioned in prison that he felt bad for his mother because she had two sons in jail, one in Ireland and one here. So that might have been a reason for him not to confess. Plus, he he felt that confessing would be ratting out other people, and he had taken an oath, I assume, he if, if he belonged to the Brotherhood. But he said he had taken an oath and that he couldn't rat out the other people that had been involved. Uh, now, as soon as the... Uh, execution occurred. Uh, things were also a little strange from then on. Yes. He, uh, he was supposed to have been handed over. His body was supposed to be given to his family to take home to Montreal and bury. But they said they had buried him overnight and that that was that. That was the end of it. So his friends and his family were very upset. 
they were afraid, the authorities were afraid that there were Fenians. The military presence around the prison at that time was amazing. It was, it was huge. And they were very much afraid that, A, Fenians were going to come and release um, Whalen from jail. And then they felt that they were going to steal his body and have some kind of a celebration or wake, which could turn into a riot. And they were very much worried about that. Right. So they they didn't hand his body over. And of course the um, the gun. Um, I don't. Was the, I can't recall. Was the gun available at the trial, or was it still missing at that point? The gun was there. It went missing after the trial. It's thought that Detective O'Neill kept the gun, and of course it was found again and uh, purchased by the National uh, History Museum. Where, where it is now. It was actually in Carlingford for a while because I had contacted the uh, museum and said, I'd really like to see that gun. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, it's in Carlingford. But when it came back, they did let me in and uh, I got to actually hold the gun. Now, you mentioned Carlingford and you were in touch. Uh, I never asked you, do you have any Irish connection yourself? Well, it's it's pretty dilute, but yes, I do. My three times great-grandparents came from uh, Ireland. One was born in 1831, one in 1835. They were married here in 1853. So it, I don't know, but it looks like the famine might have been the reason that they came here. Yeah, well, there was a lot of migration pre the major famine, and there were famines prior to that famine. But, yeah, because, again, if we look at the Rideau Canal, of course, there was huge migration, uh, and that was 1826 to 1832. Right. Uh, so there had been a lot of migration in waves prior to the famine. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Um, so, Cheryl, the, um, again, a, a book like this, normally with a, a novel. Yes. I guess you would come to a conclusion that, you know, the loose ends get to be tied up. Uh, But in this particular case, because there are so many unanswered questions, uh, how can you tie up the loose ends? Well, I I didn't from that perspective. I tied up the loose ends for my characters. Uh, I I, um, went about four days after, I think after the hanging. Mrs. Whalen was a character I also imagined, and uh, she goes home to Montreal. But uh, as for the other characters, uh, I don't want to say <laughs> how they ended up. But no, the, the, the wrap-up did not deal with anything beyond their lives and whether or not they achieved their objectives. Right. Now, you also run an interesting Twitter feed. Yes. I've set up an account for James Patrick Whalen. And he posts every day. He diarizes every day, which wouldn't have been possible. As I said, he wouldn't have had a pen and pencil. They eventually gave him newspapers, but um, he didn't really have anything to write with. But I'm imagining him in his prison cell, and I check newspapers. I have um, diaries, Mrs. McDonald's diary, or Lady McDonald, and uh, a farmer, William Upton. So I know what the weather was like almost every day. And so 
he can discuss that. He can discuss how he feels. He can discuss the news of the day if there is any. And there's also websites that say this day in history. So I can check those and see what he might be thinking about on any particular day. Because right, I see a recent posting which said um, the earth moved today. There was a shock of earthquake about 10 in the morning. I felt it but did not join in conversation with the guards who were agog and gleefully proclaiming judgment day. Yes, there was a, an earthquake that day. In 1868. <laughs> um, I have been visited by some reporters from The Citizen. I thank them for uh, vilifying me in their newspaper. They told me they had also spoken with Buckley and Lacroix. Uh, I favored them with a song. Yes, that happened as well. I checked the um, Citizen newspaper for that day. It actually happened about a week prior to him mentioning it because the newspaper was only weekly at the time. But yes, the reporters came from the citizen, they talked to him, they talked to Lacroix, they talked to several other of the prisoners, and then they reported it in the newspaper. And I guess he got sarcastic with them and said, thank you guys for finding me guilty. But uh, then he did. He sang them, uh, I think it was the death of Nelson. <laughs> I guess actually when they were leaving, they could hear him singing. And he, he did. He sang and he danced all the time. The prisoners, other prisoners would yell to him, you know, and come on, Jim, dance for us, sing for us. And he did. On that, by the way, uh, I do recall uh, Pierre Bro's wonderful uh, one-man play, uh, Blood on the Moon, which was uh, Patrick James Whelan's uh, time in the cell. And he did a wonderful job on that and brought it to life. Um, for anyone who wants to get their hands on the book, Cheryl, where can they get it? They can get it from Amazon Books and they can get it from the Kobo website as well. If you just get onto those websites and type in Find Him Guilty, the book will come up and then you can purchase it. And uh, if anyone wants to follow the daily happenings in the Ottawa jail, uh, they can find your Twitter feed where? At Find Me Guilty, and me has two E's. And do you have a Facebook page with followers or also? I don't have a Facebook page, but there's a link to my Twitter feed on uh, James Patrick's website or on his Twitter account. So uh, that's where where you can get the book. It's a... a it's actually the, the parts but I haven't had a chance to read the full book but the parts I've had uh, time to read it's been a very enjoyable it's been a very comfortable read uh, for an historical book um, and I guess the, you approach everything like this knowing that what you're reading is historical fiction but <laughs> that you're learning um, a bit about the time a bit about the people given the artistic license that has been taken alongside it. And a reminder as well that the Darcy McGee Summer School does happen in Carlingford around this time of the year. It's on the 15th to the 17th of August. Um, and uh, there is, if you do a search for that, you get some information. I know uh, James Maloney, the Member of Parliament for Mississauga, is going over to that. Are some many some other Canadians will be attending it also. Uh, Cheryl, I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been great having you on and having a chat. And I wish you every success with the book. Um, have you any plans to do any book signings or will you be in and around 
any of the bookstores in Ottawa are doing any readings or anything like that? I haven't set anything up yet. Um, it's fairly recently that it's been published, so uh, I will certainly be looking at doing those things. Indeed. So, again, Cheryl, thanks a million for taking the time. Thank you very much.